With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. All right. So, Matt, for Valentine's Day, I decided I was going to buy Ashley some lingerie. And No, really? You know, shopping for that is kind of odd, but when I went to the the store to buy it i asked the clerk there i said so are these satin and she's like no they're all new (laughs) (laughs) took me a minute i got there Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Man, I'm doing pretty good. Good. Been a pretty good day and ready to get back in the graveyard. Oh, absolutely. It's always a good time here. Uh, Even if we talk a lot, it's a good time here. (laughs) Uh, Real quick. He can't let stuff go. (laughs) No, I can't. I got to be got to be snarky about it. Sorry. Uh, Uh, We want to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. We're proud to be members of the Podbelly Network and be associated with all those shows. You can find a bunch of shows on there that you might not find other places. So go check them out at podbelly.com. We also want to thank tonight's sponsors, BetterHelp, Acorn TV, and Raycon. And we'll talk a little bit more about them a little later. While you're on the Internet, you can go check out patreon.com slash graveyard tales and you can sign up to become a patron and donate to the show and for your donations we've got several different tiers that you get bonus episodes for and we send out uh, for our five and ten dollars we send out a little thank you note um, for you guys so uh, sign up if you would like to get bonus episodes and and the $10 members actually get the video version of the recording of these episodes with our mess ups still in them. Um, I don't cut those out in there. You get to see us screw up and Matt go heavy and then me laugh in the middle of a sentence. And <laughs> that's exactly what happened. <laughs> so if you're interested in that, go check that out. And our $5 and $10 members get video versions of the bonus episodes. So, patreon.com slash graveyard tales if you're interested in that also give us a rate and review on whatever platform you're listening to if you haven't already thank you to all of you who have rate rated and reviewed us why is that so hard for me to say tonight i don't understand it's gonna be a long night Uh, i was gonna say not a not a good omen for this episode This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. So, you know, relationships take a lot of work 
and especially the most important one you can have in your life is the relationship you have with yourself. So why not take care of it? Right. Uh, you know, a lot of us would, would drop anything to go help someone that we care about. You know, you go out of your way uh, to, you know, to be polite and nice and treat people like you want to be treated. But how often do we actually treat ourselves like we want to be treated? That's a good point. Um, so this month, BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you that you matter just as much as everyone else does. And therapy is a great way to make sure that you show up for yourself. So, you know, there have been times in my life where you just get you just get bogged down. You just you just feel like you're going through the motions mm-hmm. and you've got so many responsibilities whether it be your job or your family or, or anything else you lose track of what is really important and i have been in that position and didn't even realize it until somebody recommended that i try uh talking to somebody and it really did make a difference and i i have uh gone online i have met with a therapist on better help and it is amazing just what you're able to do online just like you are if you're sitting in a little office and it is so much simpler and it's the exact same therapy you would get by making a uh, an appointment and showing up at 10 o'clock on a tuesday um, you just get to do it from your home where you feel the most comfortable. Right. And you can you can have your therapy session while wearing your pajama bottoms. It's fantastic. Yeah. Now, BetterHelp is an online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. So that's another good thing. If you want to turn the camera off and just talk to them, that's great. You can do it on the phone if you don't want to even get on your computer at all. So it's fantastic. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. Now, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, like we said, and Graveyard Tales listeners can get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash grave. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash grave. But Matt, that's all I've got. So why don't you tell us, what are we talking about tonight, brother? Okay, so tonight, Adam and I are headed to New York and we're going to talk about, again, one of these places that gets this moniker of most haunted whatever. Um, and and I want to believe this one because of what it is. And we've talked about several places like this in the past, and they all seem to be pretty doggone creepy. Yeah. We're going to talk about Rolling Hills Asylum in Bethany, New York. Oh, yeah. I saw a thing, Matt. It said it was funny because it said it is the second most haunted place in the U.S. And I've never seen somebody say the second most haunted It's like the second most haunted place and the fourth most in the in the world. I saw the exact same thing. 
But it didn't tell me what it considered to be the first. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, you know, honestly, we've talked about some pretty seriously haunted places. I mean, any of them really could lay claim to that title. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how you judge it. I guess if the person that's writing the article got scared when he was there, well, this place is the most haunted. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but you hear it a lot. Yeah, you lot. do. It, I mean, it's like a badge of honor. This is the second ha- most haunted place in the war- in the country and the the most haunted place in New York, which I, I don't know. There's a lot of haunted places in New York. So. That's true. But we anyway, haven't this is- done a lot. We haven't done a lot in New York, so we probably need to do more. Yeah, but uh, but this place is pretty cool, and the fact that it was an old asylum really uh, lends some credence to the fact that it could have been haunted. Um, but you know, it's it's got an interesting history, but over time, it's changed. Much like a lot of the places, it's it's not always the same type of. Uh, business i guess yeah um you know it'll change the building will change hands things happen um and one thing that i thought was pretty cool about this place is i've got a really cool story um that you'll hear uh a little bit later that didn't come from a time that it was being promoted as a haunted place that it it was just it was just a business mm-hmm. and I, that I thought I started reading the story and I was like, this, this doesn't make sense. And then I realized, Oh, this is a good one. <laughs> so you got, you got something to look forward to. Um, we don't usually see a lot of that. A lot of the stories we get are from, you know, the tours and, yeah. and investigations and so forth. But let's get into the history of, uh, of the rolling Hills asylum. And it wasn't always called that. Right, right. Um, as we always say, go check our sources down at the bottom of the show notes. You can find where we found our information. You can, you know, continue the research here. Um, and on that, we have talked about several asylums, like Matt was mentioning. So I didn't get history of the asylum per se, because yeah. we've talked about it before. What I thought was interesting was that before becoming the infamously uh, infamous rolling hills asylum it, this was actually a poorhouse and so yeah. i wanted to get history on what a poorhouse was what happened there why and all this stuff so that you kind of understand that along with asylums yeah like adam if you really want to know what a poorhouse is just Talk to me about it. I got two kids in college. I'm, <laughs> I'm there all the time. <laughs> That's true. Well, my dad always told me I was going to eat him into the poorhouse, so I I thought I would see it eventually. But now this comes from the Rolling Hills history site itself, um, talking about when it was the poorhouse, and it was originally named the Genesee County Poor Farm often affectionately referred to as, quote, the old county home. Um, Now, this says, often resembling a reformatory, a poorhouse often housed orphan children, families, 
destitute, elderly, physically handicapped, mentally unstable, morally corrupt, which I'm not sure what that is. That could be me or you, Matt, um, Matt. morally corrupt people. Um, <laughs> and it even housed criminals at some of these. Um, it says these institutions were situated on the grounds of basically a, a poor farm on which able-bodied residents were required to work. Such farms were common in the United States in the 19th and early 20th centuries. So these were farms. It wasn't just yeah. called a poor farm. It was... It, it was an actual farm. And, right. you know, the farm at Genesee County was... It was self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was run by the inmates. And that's what they were called... <laughs> Right. Um. They 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 weren't necessarily called residents. They were they were actually called inmates. But this was a way that that people that were distressed, either financially, emotionally, physically, um, that just for whatever reason couldn't make it in society, they had a place to go, and they could work, and they could feed themselves or, or their family and become a, a productive member. Um, you know, it, it, it sounds like a horrible, horrible thing. And I, I imagine life there was not pleasant, but it, it, it had good intentions because it, you know, it, it provided homes for these people that otherwise would have just lived on the streets. Yeah, I mean, there, there were some good intentions. I've got some stuff, though, that will um, put that into a little bit of debate on the intentions of the poorhouse, though. All right. So, but uh, this goes on to say that a poorhouse, sometimes referred to as an almshouse or asylum, was a government-run facility for the support and housing of dependent or needy persons, typically run by a local government entity, such as a county or municipality, and institutions of this nature were widespread in the United States prior to the adoption of the Social Security program in the 1930s. Now, on December 4th, 1826, the Genesee County Board of Supervisors met in Bethany for the purpose of establishing a county poorhouse. Um, a brick building, originally a stagecoach tavern located near the corner of the Bethany Center Road and Raymond Road, was the site selected as it represented the geographical center of the county at that time. Um, now, this comes break into that article a little bit with an article from history, um, from the History Channel, and it, it talks about poorhouses. So let's quickly look at what a poorhouse is said to have been before we look at this specific one. Um, now, it says the concept of the poorhouse originated in England during the 17th century, and municipalities were expected to care for their poor and made a distinction between people who were old and unable to care for themselves and the able-bodied. So, remember, this is um, the poorhouses in England, not necessarily the poorhouses in the United States, but this is where the idea came from, is these. It says people who were able to work were expected to do so and could be imprisoned if they refused to work for themselves. So they lived in these workhouses, which were bare-bones facilities designed to make poverty seem even less attractive. 
in these facilities, poor people ate thrifty, unpalatable food, slept in crowded, often unsanitary conditions, and were put to work breaking stones, crushing bones, spinning cloth, or doing domestic labor, among other jobs. So, basically, it was like, if you're going to be poor and this municipality is going to have to take care of you and you don't want to work, we're putting you in here and you're going to still work, but you're just going to do it for us, basically. Yeah. Well, so I take it back. It sucked. (laughs) Yeah. No, it didn't. So again, like I said, the intentions were. Okay. They were, they, they weren't great, but you know, it was, it was a way to if the, if if the county the municipality had to take care of their poor, this was a way they could do it. Uh, well, and you got to draw it the distinction. Wasn't something you looked forward to. No, but you do have to draw the distinction between England poorhouses and the U.S. poorhouses because right. the U.S. poorhouses were more along the lines of what you're talking about, more yeah. to take care of and give people something to do, but. You know, we're kind of looking at where the idea started uh, in England. And so they they were a little harsher there. Um, But it says in the United States, the idea immigrated along with English colonists. In 1660, Boston built its first workhouse, a brick building intended to, quote, intended for, quote, dissolute and vagrant persons, end quote. And that's something we'll we'll see a couple times through the history here is the language used because I do have some clips from actual things written at the time. And as we know with history, they were not as sensitive to anything. That's a good point. Anything. Yep. Um, (laughs) As we are today. So they weren't. No. Um, but this goes on to say that Massachusetts's poor pe- Massachusetts's Massachusetts yeah. poor people had more uh, than the workhouse to fear. Towns could also banish poor people or even auction them off to the lowest bidder. Says quote warning out allowed towns to exile poor newcomers or make it clear they were not willing to pay to support them. So. You were warning somebody out if a poor person was trying to move to your town and they didn't want to work, then you could sell them yeah, for um, labor in somebody's home or put them in one of these poor houses or just run them out of town. Slavery, essentially. Basically, yeah. Um, which that does suck. Yep. So, I mean, uh, you know. It it was it wasn't something that people you know were were going after, you know. But it did it did give a way for somebody to have a roof over their head. You had to work for, and you didn't just. It wasn't like, oh, well, you sit and you know answer this phone or something. No, it was hard labor. Yeah, I mean, it was physical. Cr- back in England, you know, they were crushing bones and rocks. Right. I mean, right. What? I mean, that's a terrible job. Yeah. Here's just a pile of cow bones. Crush them for me. Why? Just crush them. Yeah. Give you something uh, to do. Yeah. And busy work, like coloring papers in kindergarten when you were finished with your work. Mm-hmm. Now, let's go back to the Rolling Hills site. Um, this says, the official announcement 
dated December 9, 1826, appeared in an issue of Batavia Times newspaper. It says, quote, notice is hereby given that the Genesee County Poorhouse will be ready for the reception of paupers on the first day of January 1827. The overseers of the poor of the several towns of the county of Genesee are requested in all cases of removal of paupers to the county poorhouse to send with them their clothing, beds, bedding, and such other articles belonging to the paupers as may be necessary and useful to them, end quote. So, basically, just a notice put out, and they said, all right, first day of January 1827, send all your poor people here. And that's what that basically says. Send them with what stuff they have. Now, it says the following were eligible for assistance. Quote, habitual drunkards, lunatics, one who by disease, grief, or accident lost the use of reason or from old age, sickness, or weakness was so weak of mind as to be incapable of governing or managing their affairs. Paupers, a person with no means of income. State paupers, one who is blind, lame, old or disabled with no income source or a vagrant end quote quite a uh, quite a crew of people right and that's you know some of the language in there like we were saying is is the lunatics thing but i mean yeah. we talked about that when we talked about the quote lunatic asylums that they had back in the day so now, this goes on to say that in 1828, Genesee County constructed a stone building attached to the poorhouse for the confinement of lunatics and a repository for paupers committed for misconduct. The insane were also housed at the county home until 1887, when the Board of Supervisors agreed to send, quote, persons suffering with acute insanity, end quote, elsewhere in the state. Now, the Genesee County Poor Farm, a.k.a. the county home, was a self-sufficient working farm and woods spanning over 200 acres, providing food and fuel. Thus, the actual cost to care for each person was low, about a dollar and eight cents per week per resident back in 1871. So like Matt was saying, it it was pretty self-sufficient. They, you know, created their own fuel, which at the time was, you know, coal and wood. Mm-hmm. And they created their own food and all that. So they, it didn't cost the municipality or the county a whole lot to take care of these people that they deemed uh, worthy of the poorhouse since they were so self sufficient. Now, this goes on to say that residents were referred to as inmates, like Matt mentioned, no matter why they were housed there. And those physically able-bodied would work on the farm, and many actually built and made wares to sell to help offset some of the living expenses. Now, the raising of Holsteins, pigs, draft horses, chickens, and ducks, raising vegetables and fruit crops, canning jams, jellies, meats, were all part of the chores. There was a bakery and even a wood shop where coffins were made. And this is for use as needed and for sale to local mortuaries. And we'll get into 
for use as needed here in just a second. Now, it says the, the county would bury those who had no family. And records indicate there was once a cemetery located on the property, but the particulars are almost non-existent. An 1886 proceeding states, quote, the burying ground we have improved by building a fence in front and grading and leveling the ground as much as could be done without injury to the graves, end quote. So they did have a cemetery there. They tried to keep it up for a while. They tried to grade it and all that, whatever they needed to do to not disturb the graves. Now, this says that the cemetery for the county poorhouse has faded away um, as the stones crumbled, the grass grew up, and the forest replanted. And no, no one was around really to care for those who had, you know, been long forgotten. Um, but these people, though they were poor, ill, and sometimes abandoned, do deserve to be remembered. And it says an actual cemetery registry or plot map has yet to be discovered, but over 1,700 bodies are believed to be buried here in unmarked graves. It's a lot. It, it is a lot. And can you imagine being on that property sometime and just start digging to rebuild something and you run into this cemetery mm -hmm. with 1,700 people buried there? Not marked. You don't know it's there. And you just start digging up bone after bone of over a thousand people. Now, this says a memorial site was created in the Genesee County Park. And on June 6, 2004, when five headstones dated from 1887 to 1888 were returned to the county, the Genesee County historians dedicated a historical marker honoring those who died while living in the county home from 1827 until the facility closed in 1974. Residents were relocated to new facilities in Batavia. So you can still see, if you, if you go look and you search this up, you can see the plaque and the memorial that they mention in this article. It says in 64, Rolling Hills became the Genesee County Nursing Home but the facility was only used in that capacity for 10 years. Uh, it was finally closed in 1974, mostly because of code issues. Um, at the time, due to fear of vagrants moving in and vandalism, most of the old dorms were torn down as well as many of the outbuildings. Now, I didn't write this article, but that struck me funny that a poorhouse was closed down or they, they tore down the things of the poorhouse <laughs> yeah. so that vagrants wouldn't move in. <laughs> and that was the original intent. Right, exactly. So that just, that seems weird to me. Now, before we get into the hauntings and the stories that Matt has, we need to look at some some more tragedy that happened. Obviously, there was going to be a lot of tragedy from the poorhouse, you know, people dying either from working on the land there or just old age or the diseases that maybe got them sent to the poor farm. There were some other tragedies that happened in the history of this building and land. And this is from New York Ghost. It says a few tragic stories rolled out of rolling hills 
as each heartbreaking as the last. This this says one tragic story involved a resident named Roy. Now, Roy suffered from extreme gigantism, a physical deformity that left his face deformed, his hands and feet oversized, and his height well above seven feet. So this was a big boy. Um, Roy was the son of a prominent banker in New York, and he was sent to live at the asylum because his family considered him an embarrassment. He was brought to the asylum when he was 12. He died there at the age of 62. He lived there for 50 years. Um, Apparently, he loved opera music and was known in the asylum as a kind, gentle-hearted man. Now, others at the asylum, though, were not really as kind as Roy. They were kind of power hungry. And one of the nurses in the infirmary, Nurse Emmy, was known for her absolute cruelty, this says. says She was feared by the inmates and staff and was rumored to have performed satanic rituals and black magic on the residents. Now, there have been other reports of cruelty from staff members, but apparently the residents of the asylum did their best in sticking together and protecting each other. Yeah, I mean, you know, they were in a situation that nobody really wanted to be in. They didn't want to have to put up with staff members treating them like crap. Yeah. So they had to stick up for one another, um, and that's what they did, and... Now, Roy had such an influence on the building itself that it is said that you can still see his large hulking shadow wandering through the building. Now, one story recorded by Weird New Jersey told the owner, told by the owner of the building, Sharon Coyle, really captures the type of person Roy was. Sharon tells a story about running into a rat in the infirmary about two months after moving into Rolling Hills. Now, she was terrified by it, and she screamed and ran away. The next day, she found the rat dead on the stairs, blood oozing from its mouth as if its neck had been broken. On the wall above the rat was a giant bloody handprint. And Sharon thinks that the ghost of Roy witnessed her distress and killed the rat for her. That's probably not a bad thought. No. You know. I mean, it's one thing to see a bloody handprint. It's another one to see a giant bloody handprint. Right. And when you've got historical data that shows that a person like Roy lived there who suffered from gigantism, it just kind of pieces together. Right. And if he was supposedly as caring and compassionate as he was, he wouldn't want to see the current caretaker distressed and would do what he could even in his afterlife to remedy that. Mm -hmm. Now, as Adam mentioned, Nurse Emmy, now she was she was pretty bad. I mean, nobody was was wanting to mess with her. She's a bad Um, bee. (laughs) Now, her name was Emmy Altworth but better known as Nurse Emmy, and she was hated and feared by the inmates and the other staff, okay? That's pretty bad. Now, rumors began to circulate that Nurse Emmy was involved in the dark arts and, as Adam said, was performing black magic and satanic rituals. Now, reports have circulated that Nurse Emmy still walks the halls of Rolling Hills 
as visitors hear a cackle-like laugh coming from the infirmary today. That that <laughs> would yeah, that would freak you out. <laughs> yeah. If you I mean, there's a lot of things you could see at a place like this that it would scare you. But and and maybe I'm just talking for myself here and not for anybody else, but I would rather see a shadow figure than hear a disembodied cackling laugh somewhere off yeah. in the distance. Like, you know, Broomhilda in there. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like all those uh those Halloween decorations that have the little motion sensor. Yeah, That's what it sounds yep. like. We got one of those for our front door that does that. You walk by and it goes. <laughs> yeah. Now there's another paranormal hotspot in the asylum. And it's a room that's only known as Hattie's room. It's located on the first floor of the East Wing. And Sharon says that she left a tape recorder running in the room and caught the distinct voice of an elderly woman calling out, hello. Now, it is believed that this is the voice of the former patient named Hattie, who was blind and used to yell hello all day and night to get the attention of the staff and nurses. That's cool. Yeah, Sharon actually played the EVP for a former employee who said she was shocked to hear Hattie's voice again. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, this this place operated... Until 1974. I mean, there yeah. there are people still around that that worked there. It's crazy that she recognized her voice. That I mean, to me, that's a class A EVP yeah. right there. Yeah. Did you know though that that inmate Hattie actually came up with the recipe for Nashville hot chicken? <laughs> and then they named the restaurant in Nashville Hattie B's Hattie after B. her. That That's all I had. Sorry. <laughs> it, that was a total lie. I made all that up, but I, it sounded good, didn't it? How, how do you invent Nashville hot chicken in, in New York? You know, I mean, it started out as New York hot chicken, but Nashville just kind of co-opted it. And they said, we're taking it. You know, you you put her in an asylum, so you don't respect her. So we're taking it, and yeah. For those of y'all that don't know, now <laughs> now you do. Yeah. Um. <laughs> it's funny. This is a weird aside. Um. They act like Nashville hot chicken is something that has been around for like a hundred years, and I have never. I have never heard the term Nashville hot chicken until about maybe what seven or eight years ago. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, very it recent. Never, never called that. There was there was a restaurant in Nashville still there called Prince's Hot Chicken. Mm-hmm. That is what it basically it, it all all anything that is termed Nashville hot. It's it, it's all based off of what they served at Prince's. Right. Okay? It's it Prince's was about maybe about five or six miles from where I grew up. Okay. You go there on a Saturday, you're you're standing in line that goes around the building. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was good. And it was open to like four in the morning. So you'd get uh you'd get some drunk college kids that would roll up in there and be like 
Lay some ninja hot chicken on me. You going to die. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. When you get chicken above hot, that there's no point in it. That's just a joke. Nobody's yeah. really going to be able to eat and enjoy anything above their hot. Yeah. Mild is or medium is where you really need to stick to enjoy medium it. Medium was as high as I ever went. You'd get it in one of those little boats, you know, the little mm-hmm. paper boats. And you'd get the chicken. Now, you, an Asheville hot chicken is a dry seasoning, okay? It's fried, and the batter and everything is seasoned. The later in the day you get it, the hotter it is because all those spices are down in that grease where they're frying that chicken. Yep. So you, you get it at lunchtime. It's, not, it's still hot, but it's not going to be near as hot as if you get it at 9 o'clock at night where it's going to set you on fire. And right. you get it like like two pieces of white bread on the in the bottom of the boat. Chicken's on top of it. By the time you finish, you want to eat the white bread to kind of get the the heat out of your mouth. But but by and the time soaked. you got to the bread, the bread was soaked yep. in the grease <laughs> and the spice. Yeah, it was amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I mean I'm not I'm not doing anything over medium because I don't have a death wish and I'm not dumb. So I love spicy food, but to me, once you get beyond the point of being able to taste your food and all it is is lava, I don't want it. I want to be able to taste the food and have some heat. I want some flavor to the heat. All right. Enough of that. We, we took, we took off. Okay. Weird Nashville hot chicken aside. That's right. Now let's talk about something real quick. And I don't know if it's the accents or the tea or the driving on the wrong side of the road. But no matter what it is, I love British TV. And it oh, might wow. it might be the accents. I don't know. It might be the accents. And as an aside, for some reason, every time Ashley does Legos, like she's got this big Lego set that she started, she starts talking like this because Legos make her think of British people. And I don't know why, but... I don't know, but okay. she started that, so now we talk like this a lot in the evenings. But um, it, it, the thing with British TV is you can't always find it here in the States. But Matt and I are getting our fill and then some thanks to Acorn TV. And Acorn TV is the largest commercial-free British streaming service that features compelling stories, exclusive premieres, and originals that you won't find anywhere else. Acorn TV has hundreds of exclusive shows from around the world, including award-winning mysteries, dramas, comedies, history, and so much more. The series you find on Acorn TV are cleverly written, visually striking, and feature renowned actors and hosts like David Tennant and Mary Berry. Yeah, and right now you can go and catch um, season one of Under the Vines, and new episodes come out weekly uh, with the season finale having dropped on January 3rd. So you can go and binge this entire first season right. of Under the Vines. It stars Rebecca Gibney um, and Charles Edwards from The Crown. And this dramedy follows two unlikely city slickers who inherit a failing vineyard in rural New Zealand. Now, despite neither having ever done a hard day's work in their lives and both despising one another, they must somehow make the vineyard successful so they can sell up, split up, and get out of there. 
That's a good show. I'd love yeah. to inherit a vineyard in New Zealand, man. <laughs> I'd love to inherit something. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Anything. <laughs> but you get thousands of hours of new enthralling content on Acorn TV for a fraction of the cost compared to most streaming services at just $5.99 a month. So with Acorn TV, Adam and I always get our British fix, and you can too. So try Acorn TV free for 30 days by going to acorn.tv and using our promo code GRAVE. That's G-R-A-V-E. That's right. Go to acorn.tv, A-C-O-R-N dot TV. Use our promo code GRAVE and you can get the first 30 days free. But remember, you have to enter the code in all lowercase letters. So do all lowercase G-R-A-V-E. So back to New York and back to the Rolling Hills Asylum. We're going to move upwards in the building uh, to the second floor where the men's dormitory uh, is. And it is referred to as Shadow Hallway. Why, you ask? <laughs> it, I think I know. It's because this is the hall where visitors almost always see shadow figures moving around. Now, Sharon Coyle explains when you look down towards the infirmary section, you start to see the shadow people. And they could look at you and 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 appear solid, like yeah. real people. They can be light gray, medium gray, dark gray, or completely pitch black. Said so, they can kind of have these normal human shapes or these odd amorphous shapes. They say they come in and out of doorways, walk across the hall. Sometimes they poke an arm or a leg out, and sometimes they crawl on the floor, which can be really creepy, especially if you're sitting on the floor during an investigation and one is coming right at you. Because Dude, you crawling. can actually see the shadow coming right at you. Yeah, the the crawling shadow figures has always freaked me out. Like anytime oh, yeah. we talk about it, and we've talked about them crawling up walls and ceilings, mm -hmm. and for yeah. some reason, the crawling shadow figures are way creepier than the walking shadow figures or oh, the floating yeah. shadow figures. Yeah. Now let's talk about the the Potter's Field or the graveyard that existed on the property. Being a poor house, when the inmates died, there was very little or no money for a proper burial. And over the decades, as Adam said, thousands were buried in the potter's field, which was on, on the campus. Most of the graves were unmarked, and the dead are still there. Yep. And as Adam said, today there is a monument that holds a few of the headstones from the facility. But besides the ghosts that are there, this is the only reminder of the people that died in the uh, in the Rolling Hills Asylum. Um, and as Adam mentioned, there is no cemetery register or plot. So when you have death like that, and then you've got you know a large area of unmarked graves, mm -hmm. you've created a lot of energy to propel the paranormal activity forward. Right. Okay. 
not that they had any choice, and they certainly weren't thinking, well, we better not bury these people here, or this place is going to be haunted in 100 years. <laughs> yeah. You know, they weren't thinking about that at all. They were just thinking about, we get, we've got to bury our dead. Mm. You know, we, you know we, we can't just let them just lay around. That's, you know, it, besides it being just a terrible thing to do, it, w- it would have been unsanitary. Mm-hmm. But, so you know, take care of it. We've heard a, a ton of stories about the disrespecting of a grave or a burial site causing hauntings or just the the building over of a a burial site causing hauntings because I mean that could be considered disrespecting mm-hmm. the dead. And we hear that a lot. And whether you believe it to be true or not, sometimes I wonder why would you care? But then other times I'm like, yeah, I, I wouldn't want my burial spot, wherever that may be, to be desecrated and and disrespected. But I don't know. Could be superstition, could be true. But we see it a lot. And in a, a place like this where you were kind of disrespected, just buried with no marker, mm-hmm. then that's going to start it right there. And then it, it's just gone to crap and nobody kept it up and, and kind of grew over. So, I mean, that could be also considered as disrespecting mm-hmm. the burial site. Yeah. And I've always wondered, are, are, are these spirits just somehow trapped here? But they're not active until something like that disturbs their grave. I don't know. I, yeah, that's a good question. I I don't know either. To me, it would seem like you're either dead and your spirit lives on on Earth, or you're you're dead and your spirit is gone. So, if if you died a hundred years ago and then somebody you know builds a Best Buy on top of your gravesite. Mm-hmm. You know, then has your spirit just been hanging around and just laying there in the ground dormant until somebody said, hey, we're going to screw some stuff up yeah. and they start digging around and unearthing th- some things and quietly getting rid of bones so that the city inspector didn't come over and go, how oh, well, we, we got to, yeah. you're going to, you're going to have to re, you know, redo all of these graves, you know, that you had no idea were there. And now all of a sudden you know, you're, you're in Best Buy one day and you're, you know, looking at a set of headphones and, you know, something taps you on the shoulder and it's not the salesman. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know if it, if it's that or, or what it is, but we hear it a lot and I've always wondered kind of the same thing. If, if your spirit has moved on, do you come back when your burial place has been desecrated or are you just kind of hanging out going about your daily ghostly activities and then when your burial spot is desecrated then you become something that haunts i don't know i but we've also we did a whole episode on a graveyard that was supposedly super haunted and there is no evidence of hauntings at this supposed haunted graveyard that's right and in a lot of ways i think that 
is probably the case for most of these burial spots is the ghosts don't stick around their graves for the most part. Some may, but I would say 80% of what we research, the ghosts are not near their bodies. They're, they're yeah. physical bodies. So yeah. Yeah, I don't man. understand why desecration of a grave would cause a, a haunting in that sense. But it, it is it is funny, though, that these big old cemeteries with these huge mausoleums and these giant monuments and it just yeah they're creepy as everything at night but they may not necessarily be haunted yep you know it's like everybody's decided to to pack up and move out but then Mm -hmm. somebody comes in and starts messing with your grave and all of a sudden you get this little spider sense tingling and you're like oh no he didn't and then (laughs) like i'll be right back and you gotta run (laughs) that may be it I gotta scare this this guy away from my grave. He's yep. he's messing stuff up. Who knows? Now the psych ward and the solitary confinement locations in the asylum are also fairly active. Iron brackets protrude out of the cement walls of a small room in the basement, which is believed to have been used to shackle unruly inmates. Okay, now 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 we're getting somewhere. This is this is evidence of the cruelty that these people had to endure while yep. they lived, you know, in Rolling Hills. Now Sharon explains how terrible this was, and she says it wasn't always just criminals who were being locked up. She says, quote, back in the day they didn't understand that you probably had a medical issue, Alzheimer's, epilepsy, Tourette syndrome, Asperger. Or, or you were what she says, an unruly wife, which was a reason to be stuck in an asylum. Yeah. Back then, if a man couldn't control his wife, he'd say, I'm going to lock you up. And there were many, many reasons why they'd lock you up. So this was not this was not a good area of the asylum. No. Now, the morgue. Now, we've talked about how cemeteries and graveyards aren't always necessarily haunted, but morgues are different story um now at rolling hills it is kind of a hotbed for ghostly activity and in this room there is a large embalming table two large refrigerators and a huge steel sink the morgue has a lot of hauntings even to this day such as items being moved disembodied voices and visitors even reporting being shoved down onto the cold tile Mm. now yeah you start getting touchy-feely and then pushy pushy you know it's you're gonna be like "Eh, yep the the morgue's haunted so oh yeah be careful and touchy-feely is one thing when they start exerting enough force to knock you down or push you into walls or stuff that's when it gets scary that's when you really start because if they have that much energy to be able to force you to the floor that's scary. Yeah. Now, there is a legend uh, with the asylum that says a man named Jack Banyan was committed to the asylum on Halloween night, 1943. He escaped exactly 30 years later on October 31st, 1973. He left behind a note on the wall written in blood that said, you're all going to pay. Jack was never seen again. 
Now, Sharon claims that Jack is one of the shadow figures seen pacing back and forth in the second floor men's dormitory. I do not know how she came to that conclusion. Yeah. Especially with the fact that this totally sounds more like an urban legend mm-hmm. than it does an actual haunting. It really does. And it sounds like the bunny man legend kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, so I when you when you look up Jack Banyan, you you find some evidence that this guy may have actually been a resident there, an, an, an inmate. Um, but there's there's not a lot of evidence that this whole story about the escape and the and the blood on the wall and everything that 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 may have really happened. So that's what's kind of up in the air here. But it's right. a cool story, and when you got you know people coming on for a tour, it's a good one to share. Right. When you start something out with. Locked up on Halloween night. <laughs> How convenient. And yeah, if, he, if he could get away 30 years later, why the heck didn't he leave, you know, like 30 days later? Years sooner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, that, that's the thing. I mean, he, how old was he when he escaped and he was able to escape? And where did the blood come from for the wall? Did he poke his finger and write it that way. You know what I mean? So it does have a lot of urban legend stories to it, but there could be some truth in it. Like Mm -hmm. we've found with a lot of other urban legends, there is truth behind the urban legend. Yeah. Now there are a lot of theories as to why this particular asylum is so haunted. And one is that it was the only home for some that the, uh, some of the residents that they ever knew. Some of them lost their parents, their homes, their spouses. They built relationships and friendships at the asylum that meant more to them than whatever had come before. They got through tough times with the other inmates. They attached to the property. It was home to them. And many of the spirits of Rolling Hills Asylum consider it just that, an asylum or a safe place. Right. So... Even though it may, it may be super haunted, it may not be as malicious as some may want you to think when you're going in there to do a, a paranormal investigation. Because there is a le- there is a level of fear that you want to experience when you're going somewhere like this. Yeah, I mean, if somebody sure. tells you we're going somewhere haunted. And you go in, and the most haunted thing that happens is you can play checkers with an old ghost. You're like, (laughs) it's just kind of fun. You know, it's cutesy. This is what a haunted house at Disney World is like, you know? Yeah. Um, You want there to be an element of fear and maybe even a little bit of danger um, because it it really gets your blood pumping. Sometimes I also think that also gets you so excited you begin to see and hear things that aren't really there. Um, That's very true. That's that's quite possible so y'all know i've done this before i love to go to TripAdvisor and find reviews of people who have actually stayed at the place that we're talking about because those are those are usually pretty good you know they're Mm -hmm. they're there's no reason to not believe any of these reviews it's it's most of the time it's people wanting to share an experience they had and encourage other people to go and see if they have the same one and sometimes you can get a good chuckle that's because right. Because some people, <laughs> some people are wordsmiths on there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's almost as good as reading Amazon reviews. 
Yeah, right. Now, this review from TripAdvisor comes from user Jamie M. Grant. Uh, Jamie says, the first time we went, August of 2018, I did not experience much. But this last time, I got a picture of a face in Nurse Emmy's window. And she says, I even danced with Roy in his bedroom, which was the coolest experience ever. Dancing with a ghost is pretty cool. I don't know how she realized she was doing that. Maybe maybe it was on one of those those uh, cameras um, where you can you can dance with the stick figure, you know, like I oh, did. Oh yeah, yep, exactly. <laughs> I didn't really or dance. It, it was like um, she actually felt the arms around her, and she mm-hmm. felt the hand keep sliding down her back, and she had to keep pulling it up, like in the old movies, you know, where dudes like keeps trying to slide his hand down her back, and they smack him. <laughs> Ghost trying to cop a feel exactly on the dance floor. (laughs) Now I found something in researching Rolling Hills that I normally do not find. Um, We found something similar to it a few times. This is a website just dedicated to stories from Rolling Hills uh, regarding the paranormal activity they experienced. So this Hmm. is not TripAdvisor. This is just a website dedicated entirely to these stories. That's really cool. Yeah. Now, this first one um, is dated May 22nd, 2010. And it says, three years ago, myself and my two friends, Bobby and Tommy, were in the Christmas room doing EVPs. And we came and, and as we started to review the recordings, we came across an EVP, which they said they believed says, kill them. Okay. That's uh that's one of those that's one of those things that when you hear you'd go, I'll ah, see y'all later, ghosts. Have fun. You yep. you, you you win, you get this place. Yep, you, you can have it. <laughs> or you hear it and you're like, Did they just say chicken? Yeah, that's Somebody right. Somebody said chicken. <laughs> I think it says kill them. No, I I think it says cook for them. Yeah, yeah, and it definitely it definitely says chicken. I I hear chicken. I don't. <laughs> it's like the the symptoms how how to cook for humans. No, how yeah. to cook forty humans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the the rest of this story goes that they were in the Christmas room in the basement where they were using a K two meter and a digital recorder, just asking random questions. He says, "I was getting some answers." such as bangs and little noises here and there. But what I caught on my digital recorder was unexplainable. This really sounds like a small male child repeating what I had just said. And I was the only male in the room left alone in the whole basement area. Said, you'll hear me say, oh, thank you. Because after asking for a noise, we got a response with a noise. Then you'll hear the small child and this is extremely clear, said, but you usually have to wear headphones to, to make it out. Now, again, mm. this is just a essentially a forum where people can share stories. I did not have access to this, um, you know, to be able to listen to this EVP. But this one was written by Kurt F- uh, Philippak, I believe is how to pronounce his name. So, Kurt, if you do, uh, Kurt, if you do come across this, I apologize if I butchered your last name. And if you hear this, send us that recording. Yeah, <laughs> I let hear us it. hear it. 
Now, this one comes from July of 2010, and it was done by the Adirondack Ghost Hunter Society. And this one says, my team members and I were in the shock therapy room, and we caught the organ in the upstairs playing two notes on our EVP recorder. Said it's one of the best EVPs I've ever caught, and that's from Frankie Porcaro. Uh, this next one says we were just we had just gone up up the stairs by the office area and started looking in the rooms for a digital recorder we had left when we caught this loud. Please stay in your room. Then it's nothing. It's like we didn't hear these things when we recorded them only on the playback, which is how an EVP works. Yeah. Yeah. Because if it if you didn't hear it in the room, that that or if you did hear it in the room, that would be a disembodied voice. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be an EVP. That's right. Now, this is the one I said was so cool. So one thing we didn't touch on much was the fact that the building that housed rolling hills was essentially like a little flea market shopping mall in the late 90s mm -hmm. so the building was repurposed to house little shops and boutiques and craft booths and things like that that's where this story comes from in 1998 my fiance now husband had an herb shop called the Raven's Nest in the room across from what was a little restaurant. A grandson of someone offered to take us upstairs when I told him about noises I was hearing, and I kept seeing a woman in an old-fashioned nurse's uniform walk past our shop door. When I would look down the hall, she would be gone, but you could hear her shoes squeaking. If you know what old nurse's shoes are like, yeah, they they have like the the sole on them that's like a gummy eraser, you know. Yeah, real thick, and when they walk across like a tile floor, yeah, it's it's very common. Yeah, yeah that's it. You know, you're walking on a gummy eraser. <laughs> so we went upstairs, and the owners had taken all the doors off and laid them inside the rooms. My husband and the boy. We're walking beside me. I said, I've been psychic since I fell six feet onto concrete, splitting my head open. Shoo. Can you imagine? That's a, that's the concept for that new show on CBS, isn't it? Ghosts. Yeah, right. She falls, hits her head. Now she can see ghosts and communicate with them. So that this lady became psychic. She says, I was hearing low murmuring, and as we walked past the rooms, one at a time, you could hear the doors slam shut. Remember, the doors had been taken off the hinges and laid inside the rooms. Mm -hmm. The boys were walking very fast at this point, but I saw movement from the corner of my eye. I stopped in front of one room and saw an old metal tub with a high back, an elderly man sitting there in steaming hot water, eyes closed and skin bright red. The woman in white that I had been seeing was leaning over him with a strange smile on her face. Everything happened very fast. The vision was gone, replaced by a room with rubble about the floor. I never saw the woman in front of our shop again. I did always hear murmuring, squeaking of wheelchairs and children laughing. She says, I seem to draw spirits to me if 
they are around, maybe because they know I can hear them. It is good to know that this building and its history will be taken care of, because I'm sure the spirits will be a little bit happier. So that comes from Mary Fleming Dutton. And I saved that one for last because when you have uh, when you have a haunting like this and the building has been remodeled, repurposed, whatever, and then you have a residual haunting right there mm-hmm. in during that time frame, to me that's so cool. And the fact that she was able to see this this apparition of a nurse in an old nurse's uniform hear the squeaky shoes, hear the wheelchairs. She saw the old man in the old tub getting a bath. Um, You know, the sound of children laughing, all of that stuff. Those are all things that would have occurred in the asylum. And it just carries over. Yep. And it was before they started doing like tours for ghosts and stuff. So it wasn't. They weren't like, promoting this as a haunted location. Yeah. Okay. And you weren't physically or or mentally set on there's ghosts here. You were just working, doing your your job, and then you run into these ghosts. So mm-hmm. it, it it's really cool. It is really cool. All right, Adam, let's take a minute and talk about one of tonight's sponsors, Raycon. Now, a lot of people don't even make New Year's resolutions anymore. Um, And, you know, I get it. Uh, But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't find a way to kind of shake things up, whether it's by switching up your workout routine or going someplace new. Whatever way you challenge yourself this new year, There's no better way to do it than with a pair of Raycon wireless earbuds in your ear. Now, Raycon wireless earbuds are the best way to bring audio with you because no matter how much you shake things up, no matter how much you shake, you know they won't fall out. And they won't. I've put put mine through the test. Mm -hmm. You know, I can jump, flip, lay in the bed, you know, drive down the road. You can run, work out. I've gone out and and thrown batting practice with my Raycons in, never come out. And the everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. And there's also an awareness mode for when you need to listen to your surroundings. So you can take Raycons with you wherever you go. And with optimized gel tips for the perfect inner fit, these earbuds are so comfortable they will not budge trust me yep and that's very true because i wear mine all the time like if i could figure out if i was smart enough to figure out how to get them to connect to my interface on my computer i'd be wearing them right now to record (laughs) because i wear them all the time they're so comfortable and i get up in the morning and i start start my day and i pop in my raycons and i can go i can listen to podcasts i can listen to music and they have different settings depending on, you know, if you want more bass, if you want more high end for listening to podcasts, you can do all that. We go to the gym. I, I run the track. I'll do the elliptical. I'll do the stationary bike, lift weights. Doesn't matter how much I sweat or if I fall on the track because I'm stupid or I'm trying to race Michael and I trip and fall. 
Not that that's ever happened. I'm not admitting to that, but just saying my Raycon earbuds did not fall out. And the awesome thing is Raycons offer eight hours of playtime and a 32 hour battery life. So I'll be honest with you on mine. I can go almost a whole week with the way I wear them. I can go almost a whole week without having to charge the actual pack that they come in. Granted, I've got to put my earbuds back in the pack to charge them, but the pack itself, I charge it maybe once a week. Yeah, and I I plugged mine in last night, and I can't even remember when I had had to plug them in prior to that. Right, right. And Ashley and Michael also have a pair, and Michael is on his all the time, which he somehow forgets to put it in awareness mode so he can never hear what I'm saying when I talk to him. (laughs) But that's a whole nother story. Um, But he forgets a lot to charge his earbuds and that's why we decided to get him the Raycons. And I tell you, it it doesn't matter. He he does not run out of battery. And, you know, we'll, we'll remember to plug his in before he does. But they're priced just right. And that's the cool thing about them is you get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. And it's no wonder that Raycon's everyday earbuds have over 48,000 five-star reviews. And right now, Graveyard Tales listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash tales. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash T-A-L-E-S. Right. That's buyraycon.com slash tails to save 15% on Raycons. Buyraycon.com slash tails. But yeah, as I said, you know, Rolling Hills is, is a fairly active haunted place. It, Sharon Coyle, who is the current owner, has done a fantastic job from what I can read of keeping the building up, uh, you know, keeping the building up, not allowing it to just decay and, and fall into ruin, um, you know, doing work, you know, on the roof and on the electrical, making sure that it's safe to invite people in to take these tours. And they have a lot of options, just like most places that operate like this do, where you can go in during the day and you can tour for about an hour, hour and a half. Um, then they have evening uh, tour groups, which go through and you get a little bit more of the of the haunted experience. And then they even do private. They 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 rent the place for private ghost hunts. Um, so you can come in for several hours and have run of the building um, to to haunt, haunt, uh, ghost hunt and investigate as you wish. Um, and, and that's pretty cool. And I, I think it's great that people are embracing the fact that not only are these old buildings a part of history, but they're, they're fantastic places for paranormal investigators to go to, to try to capture some evidence of the activity that, they thought they were going to see when they got there. Yep. And I like it when places that are haunted like that and the buildings abandoned are turned into a place where you can go ghost hunt. Right. And we've, we've talked about a few of those and it, it keeps the life in the building. It keeps the, 
the stories and and the history there it doesn't get torn down and forgotten about right which some places do they they may have had crazy history and then they're torn down and we lose the history i hate losing history as all of y'all know it it's drives me nuts and no matter what the history is i think it needs to be there and keeping a place like this around it preserves that and it and it also may bring new energies into that building, which may stir up more of the paranormal activity than if it just sat dormant. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But, Matt, I, I think we should say, because of what you and I were talking about before we started this, if you go to this place, there, don't give them a hard time. Right. If if you go to some place to investigate, and they have rules, follow the rules that they lay out. Um, they're they're doing you a favor by allowing you to come tour the place and ghost hunt there and everything. And and it's like we've said at other places: be respectful of the place that you go to. Also, be respectful of the person who owns that property. That's right. Because it's not just a free for all thing. It these people pay to keep it up and it's their business. And so be respectful when you go there to ghost hunt. Yep. And and that, I think that's a good way to end it. Um, you know, so if you're in the area um around Bethany, New York, you've probably heard of Rolling Hills. Um, it may be close enough for you to go check out. So if you can, if you do. Let us know about it. You know, send us some photos. Tell us some stories. Let us know what your experiences were when when you went and and checked out Rolling Hills Asylum. And one of the best places to do that is in our Facebook group. And you can find it by searching for Graveyard Tales on Facebook. And we have tons and tons of members that share experiences. They share um, thoughts and jokes and a lot of other stuff every day and it's one of the one of the best facebook groups in my opinion the best facebook group i've ever been a part of oh yeah um, but of course you can also go and adam mentioned this earlier we're available on twitter and instagram just go and search graveyard tales and then you can check out our website which is graveyardpodcast.com and on our website you can find links to purchase graveyard tales merchandise you can listen to the show and you can become, you can become a patron and we appreciate everyone who has joined our patron site. We've got a large catalog of bonus episodes, uh, audio and video. Uh, recording just, another one tonight. Yeah, we're recording another one tonight. So we're constantly putting up new content. It's it's almost, it, at this point, it's almost like a whole nother show. Um, yep. But the money that comes from uh, joining our, our, our Patreon site, it, it goes to keep this show going. Um, right. It allows us to, to continue to put out the quality of show that we want to, that you expect from us. And we appreciate it. We and not really, be trapped really behind a paywall. That's right. Um, That's right. By, by your donations, it keeps the show free. Your donations and our sponsors is what keeps us from going behind some paywall like other shows have, have done. So thanks for listening tonight, and until next time, we'll save you a seat 
in the graveyard. See you soon.